So I think the question that we're kind of gathering here to talk about today is what is the Christian life? The Christian life is something that we live in a context. We live it with other people. Those people are called the church. So we live the Christian life in and amongst a group. And the question is, how is that supposed to go? What is it supposed to look like? As those who committed themselves to live lives of, the, to, of worship to God and obedience to Christ, what should it actually look like day to day that we, when we go and we deal with things at work, things in our families, things amongst each other? How is it that we are to behave and how is it that we are to bring together the things that we have known and understood from the Bible to result in a community that looks something like what we have here? BJ shared at the annual meeting about things that he's encouraged with about the community that we have here. The ways that the Lord has blessed us and the ways that the Lord has gifted us with a sweet spirit and with love for one another. Where does that come from? It comes from somewhere. And it's lived out in a context. The way I phrased it in terms of our theme this morning is, Christian, God's good plan for you is to live out your faith in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ here at Redeeming Grace Church. I closed the, the, the theme that way because we don't live by ourselves. right? We don't live our lives in our homes, on our own, with just us and our Bible. We have to live our lives in the context of the local church. And for us, that's Redeeming Grace Church. So if you're visiting with us today, don't hear me Think of your own church in that context. You are living your life in the context of that church. There are many good churches around. But we all live in the context of a church somewhere, and ours is redeeming grace. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 says this, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus Christ our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. I think this captures some of the other aspects of what I want to do. God is in the process of working in us a life that is lived out in holiness with other people. And so my task today is hopefully to help you understand how to fulfill this commitment. A commitment that we made two weeks ago. Remember, two weeks ago at our annual meeting, we brought three people into membership. Why is it we do this membership thing? I want to help you understand how to fulfill the commitments that we make to one another. I want to do that by answering or talking about two relatively simple, short questions that have a lot of stuff under the surface. The first one is, what is the church? What is this thing that we call church? Deal with that briefly. And then especially, and this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time, I want to talk about how is it that we live inside of this church? What are the behaviors that we want to foster? What are the things that we want to do in order to live out our lives inside the church? So what is the church? By the way, there is an outline in the bulletin. You may find that helpful to follow along with where we're going uh, in, the, in the course of our, our time today. So what is the church? I'm not going to give a 
full-orbed theological definition of the church today. I'm going to try to just call out a couple of ideas about it, because most of our time I want to spend talking about how we live in the context of it. But I do want us to note a few things about what the church is. Three things that I want you to see this morning. The the first one is that the nature of the church is that it's a community of Christian worshipers. Community of Christian worshipers. The second thing I want us to notice is where the church is located or where it exists. The church exists both in heaven, it's a heavenly reality, and it's also an earthly reality. It's something that actually we live amongst here, but it's not only here. And then the third thing I want us to see is the fact that the church is a people. It's not a thing. It's a people. It's a gathered group that come together. And that that is a a critical part of what the definition of church is. And then based on that, we'll be able to explore ways that we are to live inside of this faithful community that the church creates or that the church defines. So first, the nature of the church. What I want you to see is that the nature of the church is the community of Christian worshipers. BJ said this before, and I think he was right. Man is made for worship. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. God made us, and it is the right thing for all men everywhere to worship him. However, the problem is that man has fallen into sin. And now he refuses to, to give God the worship that he is due. So God had to send Jesus. He sent Jesus to save these ruined sinners through his death, burial, and resurrection. And the church is made up of those whom Jesus has saved and who now worship God together. The Bible does not have a category for someone who is still in their sin to be called a Christian. It doesn't exist. Everybody who is truly saved by Christ are the ones who are actually members of the church. So the church is all of those who are alive in Christ, gathered together for worship. That's the nature of the church. Second, I want you to see that the church exists in two places at once. It exists in heaven, and it exists on earth. The main or primary location of the church is in heaven. It is where... All of the people everywhere from all of past, all of the eternity past, not eternity past, for all of history past, all of the people who have truly believed, they are and have now died, they are in heaven and they are worshiping God. And there is in the, in the throne room of God, as uh, the Apostle John describes in Revelation chapter 4, a heavenly worship that is going on at all times. There we see that God is on his throne in majesty and glory. And around that throne, men and angels sing his praises continually. Revelation says, records, Worthy are you, O Lord, on God, to receive glory and honor and power, they say, continually, day after day after day, in an ongoing worship service. So the church of God is definitely, and at least, in heaven. But the church is also existing on earth. When you look at the New Testament, you see lots of greetings, and, you see, and they go something like this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sancria, Romans 16. Also in Romans 16, Paul says, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ. Greet also the church that is in their house. 
And to the saints and faithful brothers at Colossae, Paul greets them that way in the beginnings of the book of Colossians. These churches all existed in different places, but were only there for a time. If you were to go to these places now, you would most likely not find a church there, for those saints have gone up and are now worshiping in heaven with the rest of the saints in glory. But we are worshiping here this morning, in this time, and in this place. And so the earthly church is local and tied to particular places in particular times, but joins with the church in heaven in worship of God. And so when we worship here in our local time and place, we are joining and becoming part of a permanent heavenly worship that we see as, as recorded in the book of Revelation. So the church is in heaven and on earth, and that gives us constancy, and it gives us an ability to move forward even when things seem difficult. Finally, I want you to see that the term church does not refer to a thing, but to the gathered people of God. It is common in our, in our day and age to say that we go to church. By this, we typically mean that we travel to a place in order to attend an event. But that's not what the Bible means when it says church. The church in the Bible is the gathering itself, not the location or the event. In fact, the Greek word that we read as church is literally translated as gathering. And in the New Testament world, it was often used to describe citizens of a state or a city or a place. And in the context of the Bible, the people of God in a particular place is called the church or the ecclesia or the gathering. So when we are not here at 164 Ballard Road, this building is just a building. It cannot properly be called a church, even if it is the house in which the church assembles. And when you are weary and tired and the church comes to your aid, it's not organizations or buildings or properties that show up. It's the people themselves, it's the people of God themselves, and they, and they minister to you. J.I. Packer pulls all of these themes together in his definition of the church in this way. He says this, Essentially, the church is, was, and always will be a single worshiping community permanently gathered in the true sanctuary, which is the heavenly Jerusalem. Here, all who are alive in Christ, the physically living with the physically dead, worship continually. In the world, however, this one church appears in the form of local congregations, each one called to fulfill the role of being a microcosm of the church as a whole. So each local church is a true community filled with Christian worshipers, but is also an expression of something bigger and more permanent anchored in heaven itself. Now we could easily spend the rest of this sermon just exploring the doctrine of the church. <clears throat> There's so much more than, than the things that I've said, and I've really only scratched the surface. But the title of my message is not the doctrine of the church. The title of my message is a life in community. And while the church defines the boundaries of that community, and we need to kind of understand something about what it means and what it is in order to be able to talk about what we do inside of it, my real purpose is to describe that what we do part. We are the church and must live lives that reflect the reality that we are worshipers of God saved by grace through faith. This is the same salvation that Brad and BJ have been preaching about for the first half of our series. Saved by faith, through grace, justified, sanctified, 
When we brought the Alberts and Kirsten Appenzeller into membership two weeks ago, all of the members present agreed to take a vow. This is the vow that we asked everybody who was present and members to take. With God's help, will you commit to walk alongside these brothers and sisters and help them on their way as they take up their cross daily and follow our Lord Jesus Christ? Will you work for their eternal good, ministering the gospel to them with your words and your lives? Will you strive to live before them according to the example of Christ? Will you surround them as a community of pure, true, and faithful love? Will you build them up as members of one body so that together we may all be found faithful at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ? And all of you who are present and members of Redeeming Grace said, we will. So let's shift our focus and talk about how it is that we fulfill this commitment. I found that commitment to be a thrilling thing. We were, as, we said those, as we proposed those questions and as we shared those questions with everyone that night, I was like, yes, this is what we want. But at the same time, it did come into my mind, how do we do that? that, that there's so much underneath all of that. How do we accomplish this? And that's what we want to talk about now. As I was considering that, I came, up with, I came up with five kind of buckets or behaviors that I would like to encourage you that will help show how to be the worshiping community that Packer spoke of or the, the way to answer these kinds of questions, not only with ideas, but with real actions in our lives. So five behaviors that I want to encourage. Behavior number one, love the people of God. There's a couple of ways we want to do that. We want to love the people of God, first of all, by being physically present. Our culture is currently trying to persuade us that virtual communities are better than real ones. The cutting edge of of technology is all about these places where you can go and put on goggles and be in whatever world you want to be, wherever it is you want to be. And that's supposed to somehow be better than actually sitting in a real room with a real person. They want us to believe that gathering together in real life is not really needed. All you need is to be alone in your room with your computer. And that's it. You can be virtually with whoever you want, as whoever you want, doing whatever you want. But that's just not true. And I think I can, I can prove it to you. Super Bowl is next week. And if I said to you that I turned down Super Bowl tickets because watching it on TV was just as good as seeing it in person, every football fan in this room would want me to have my head examined. Why? Because being physically present at the game is profoundly different than experience, a, a profoundly different experience than just watching it on TV. And if that's true for a football game, how much more is it true for worshiping the living God? Don't allow attending church to be optional or consider it to be second best to listening to something or watching it on a flat screen. Hebrews tells us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How? By not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. near. To have real community, you need to show up. And parents, it should never even occur to your kids to ask, Mom and Dad, are we going to church tomorrow? That should never be a question that is in your house. Second way we love the people of God. Love the people of God by cultivating real affection for them. We often hear the the idea and the phrase that love is an action, and I think that is true. But I don't think it's true to the neglect of the fact that it is also an emotion. And I think that one of the ways that we love people, and we're going to talk about actions in a few minutes, but one of the ways that we love people is by cultivating real affection. Listen to these verses from various places in the New Testament. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. By the way, for those who are uncomfortable by those kissing passages, every single one of them, every single passage in the New Testament that says greet also says kiss, by the way. Just saying. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. 1 Peter 5.14 Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Romans 15.7 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4.32 Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. 2 Corinthians 13.11 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Greet, welcome, tender, comfort, fellowship. These are words that assume that we are more than mere acquaintances or relations that simply tolerate each other's presence at Christmas and Easter. Here, just see we are going to talk more about the actions, but for, here, for now, just see that we must do everything we can to foster and encourage real, active love and affection for one another as we live together. And even though you're not going to be able to have equally good and deep friendships with everybody in this room, we really still should feel like we love each and every person. And whatever you need to do to cultivate that love, start by coming. Whatever you need to do to cultivate that love is what you need to be working on in terms of loving your brothers and sisters. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, 1 Peter 1 says. Behavior number two, be instructed in the word of God. Again, two ways we can do this. First of all, be instructed in the Word of God by reading your Bible. I don't need to spend a lot of time here. Brad covered this well last week. But it's still worth reminding you that you hold in your hands the very Word of God, and then in reading it, there is great reward. And it will help you to live in the community of faith. But the second way I want to talk about being instructed in the Word of God is by applying sermons to your life. Every single week, we have centered our worship service around the Word. And we've done it on purpose. As we have understood what the Bible says about how we worship God, His Word needs to be at the center of it. It needs to be at the middle of it. 
And so everything we do at the beginning of the service brings us to this point. Love the word of God and seek to be changed by it, especially as, as it is presented to the gathered people in the, in the worship service. Hear it, digest it, let it flow back out of you in praise and song and encouragement for others. And in doing so, you will be part of the community we have by promoting godliness in your brothers and sisters. You will be able to apply the balm of biblical wisdom to the lives of others as you learn it and digest it and apply it yourself. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If you want a simple way of applying this, of putting it into practice, go to home group. And when you go to home group, don't be quiet in home group. Take what you understood from the, from the sermon on Sunday morning and Talk about it with your brothers and sisters. Ask the questions that come to your mind. Bring the insights that the Lord has brought to your heart so that all of you can work it together and work it down deep so that way when, you, when somebody asks you and needs you, the Bible can come out. One more thing here. Also let it flow back out of you as you share the good news it proclaims with the world around us. Only need to tease this here. Skylar is going to spend a lot of time in this topic next week. But the better you know the word and the better that you have applied the sermons that you hear here, the better you will be able to give an answer for the hope that is in you to a world that desperately needs it. So be instructed in the word of God. Behavior number three. Speak honestly about your walk with Christ. First of all, by being transparent and sharing joys, trials, successes, and failures. When you speak with others, please share how your life is really going and not how you wish it would go. If you read something great in the Bible or are convicted by the message in a sermon, share it with someone. If you're feeling burdened by sin, confess it to a brother or sister so that they can help you. If God has blessed you, give praise to him. Or if he sent you a trial, ask for prayer. We need to be able to speak honestly about what the Lord is doing in our life. Good or bad, we must come to this gathering with our real faces on. I don't want your Facebook profile walking in that door every week. I want your real face. And so do your brothers and sisters. Your brothers and sisters need your real face to come in that door. Therefore, confess confess your sins to one another, James says. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians tells us. This is why we have share times on Sunday mornings like we had today. And in home groups, you have the same chance just on a smaller scale. Home groups have share times and prayer times and times when we can talk about what the Lord is doing in our life. Just yesterday, a brother called me and asked to come over to our house because something that happened was troubling him. And he shared the situation with us. Because he let us in, we were able to 
walk alongside and help him to carry that burden. But it had to start with him calling us. Otherwise, we would have never known. Secondly, speak honestly about your walk with Christ by seeking input from others. Proverbs says, For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. We all have many decisions to make, circumstances to deal with, both large and small. And our culture tells us that being independent is best and the wisest people are those that can look at their circumstances, evaluate their options, and choose the wisest course all by themselves without being so weak as to need the input of others. I have news for you. That's a lie. God has given you many counselors. They're your brothers and sisters. We're all sitting here. Ask them what they think about things, big and small. Do you think you should move? Ask somebody. Do you think you should take a different job? Ask somebody. Do you think you should do something different with your kids? Ask somebody. Do you think you should do something different with your neighbor who you want to share the gospel with? Ask somebody. We all need help. And when we make decisions on our own, the wisest of us seeks wisdom from others. We will almost always be better off by getting input from our brothers and sisters. Just one example of this. Many of you know that Jeff Coslett spoke at our Men's 416 meeting a couple of of months ago. And he told us how he needed to have help with his marriage. And he told us about how When he asked for that help, the Lord was kind and gracious and brought people alongside him in order to help him with his marriage. This builds our community because as we trust one another to see the real face, as we trust one another, the bonds between us become stronger as we are built up. Behavior number four. Walk alongside your brothers and sisters in real and tangible ways. This is the compliment to my previous point. Because it wouldn't work so well if everybody came in and said, Hi, can I have some help? And nobody did anything. Right? Not only should we be learning how to be open and honest in how we speak... But when others speak to us in this open and honest way, we need to respond by walking alongside them and helping them in the way. What does this practically look like? Walking alongside means being connected, connected with your brothers and sisters well enough to be able to apply the gospel in real time. Think about the image just presented in the phrase. If I'm walking alongside someone, I'm going to know whether they're energetic or tired. Are they lagging behind me or are they going ahead of me? I'll know if they trip and fall and I'll be able to catch. I'll know if they're happy or sad or troubled because I can see their face because I'm next to them. And it's all because I'm close enough to see and perceive. So what are some ways that you can practically walk alongside your brothers and sisters? First, be willing to speak into the struggles that others share. Bear one another's burdens. I quoted this verse a minute ago. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When somebody says, this is troubling me, or this 
came up at work and I don't know what to do about it. Be willing just to open up and say, well, this is what I think. Or this is what I read in the Bible that seems to apply. Open up your mouth and talk to one another. Once you know that and once you've had a conversation, actually pray for them in their circumstances. It's a significant way. James says, pray for one another that you may be healed. The, power, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you will pray for one another, then you will be fulfilling this, this idea of walking alongside your brothers. Talk about the things that bring them joy or cause them pain and help them to see how the truths of the Bible apply. This is why we need to be instructed in the word of God. If we are instructed in the word of God and my brother or sister is struggling or is rejoicing, then I can bring the word of God to bear on those situations and rejoice with them and actually be a real help. Therefore, encourage one another. Build one, build one another up just as you are doing. First Thessalonians. You can also serve them in real and practical ways. Meals and errands and other acts of service. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We all have reasons that we need to lean on other people for practical things. Can't count the number of times that somebody has called us up in the last couple of years and just said, I'm going to Costco. Can I I go for you? They don't know what they're asking. (laughs) Because sometimes it takes both of us to push the cart out of the building. But it's, it's such a blessing. You have no idea, for those of you who've done that for us, you have no idea how much of a blessing that has been to my wife. Just to have somebody do something as simple as go to the store. Serve them by willing to press in and talk about how they are doing spiritually. It's good. It's all good. Fellowship is wonderful and it's sweet. But it is actually sweeter when you have somebody who's willing to actually get beyond the weather and how the kids are doing in school and say, what is the Lord really doing in your life? And how can I encourage you in it? And how can I pray for you in it? Above all, going back to what we talked about before, love unconditionally. This is hard. People do things to each other, even within the church, that hurt. We don't always mean to. Sometimes we do. But the call of the scriptures is to love our brothers and sisters without condition. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Since love covers a multitude of sins. Forgive your brothers and sisters and love unconditionally in order to be able to walk alongside them in real and tangible ways. This isn't necessarily complicated or hard to do. Feels that way because it feels big. But here's a couple of ways you can get started. Look around the room. Find someone that you know, maybe that you haven't 
touched base with recently and make a point to reach out this week and simply ask them, how can I pray for you? Walking alongside them. Go to home group this week and determine to ask one person how their week has gone and listen sincerely to what they have to tell you. If you're, more, if you're a little more adventurous, you can get outside of those kinds of examples. I had a situation where I wanted to talk about some things with my boys as this last year was winding down, and I decided that I was going to read a book with them, J.C. Ryle's Thoughts for Young Men. What I realized was that there were several other young men, some of whom were in my home group, who would benefit from doing this as well. And so I invited them to come along, and now we've been meeting together, and we read and discuss that and pretty much any other questions or things that they might find helpful. My goal is to walk alongside them, listen, and help them to pursue Christ in whatever ways that I can. Puts me on the spot sometimes. Don't always know the right answers. So it's a little more risky than just asking what you can pray for for somebody. But it's significant and it's real. And it's a way that you can sit down with friends and people who are next to you, reading a book together, discussing what it says. One that my wife is particularly good at is paying attention to the details of people's lives and having her radar up and then checking in when she suspects that there might be something hard and giving them encouragement to keep going. Just being aware and then asking questions, walking alongside. Okay, finally, behavior number five. Exercise hospitality and actually spend time with others. Hospitality is the practice of inviting others into your regular life in order to show them love and to do them good. At least that's the way I define it. The Bible uses words like greeting, comforting, caring, and kindness to kind of get at this idea of hospitality and spending time with one another. Hospitality can look like so many things. The most well-known, of course, is inviting somebody over for a meal. But it can also be meeting up for that meal at a park or a restaurant. Because the sharing of the meal is the important part, and the sharing of life is the important part. It's not really all that important that it's in your living room and you're in dining. Reading books together and discussing them is a way to spend good time focused on the gospel. My mother-in-law regularly invites her friends over and they watch movies together. But not the movies you're thinking of. They watch theology seminars and discuss what they've learned or talk about the history of the church. Fantastic. The more time we spend, the closer we will become and the stronger the bonds of love will be. We need both quality time and quantity time, so we need to spend time just with one another, but we don't always want it to be only just with one another. We want to be investing in one another. So apply the other things that we've talked about. But we need both quality and quantity time to set the stage for these other, other kinds of community. And if you're feeling lonely or disconnected here this morning, let me encourage you, practice hospitality. Just put out an invitation to do something with somebody. That'll be the remedy and provide the stage for the other things that we've talked about this morning to be also applied to your life and to your heart. And you won't be lonely anymore.
couple of thoughts on pra- of practical advice as we kind of wrap things up and bring things together. Number one, please do not see this as a bunch of to-do items to add to your life's checklist. My intent here is to describe a way of being, not a list of things to do. In fact, there are some things that you can do that would implement all of these things all together at the same time. Be willing to share prayer requests and to pray for others. You'll, that, that will require you to do a whole bunch of those behaviors. Be willing to commit to going to home group and participating when you're there. That also will put you in the context of all of these behaviors. Somebody has opened their home to have home group in and you're participating in that. Or maybe you can share your home. You're investing in the word. You're hearing what other people are dealing with and working through in their lives. You have the opportunity to share that yourself. You are going to be able to walk beside those people because you are spending time with them. So if you need examples, those would be the two that I would focus on the most. Pray for your brothers and sisters and go to home group. If you do either of these things, you will have many opportunities and you'll be able to do it without adding a hundred things to your do list. Third, if you find the prospect of doing things intimidate, these things intimidating, then practice. And I would say, but practice by just saying, add one thing. Maybe, maybe you pick the one that I shared earlier. Look around the room and find one person that you can go and connect with this week and say, how can I pray for you? Or how can I pray for you? Just one thing. There's a great line in, in, the, in Jane Austen's book, Pride and Prejudice. The main character is complaining that he's unable to talk to people. Something that I think people in, in this room might be able to resonate with. He doesn't know how to talk to people well when he doesn't know them. The heroine looks at him and notes that she doesn't play the piano well. And then she says, she says this, but then I've always supposed it to be my own fault because I would not take the trouble of practicing. So practice. Add one thing that you can do. If you find these things hard, but are willing to practice, you will bless your brothers and sisters greatly as you live in the community with the people of God. As we close, I do want to take a minute and talk to, you, talk to those of you who are not Christians. We've mostly been talking about how Christians live inside of the community of faith today. By definition, you're not part of that community because it comes from being part of and inside of the church. Now, you do come here and you do meet with us in our building and you get to watch it happening around you and you even experience a little bit of as, as the excess of these things overflow the lives of Christians in your general direction. But ultimately, you are on the outside looking in and seeing something happen here. What you are seeing happening here as you see real community lived out in the people of this congregation, is you are seeing the grace of Christ being lived out in front of you. Now here's the thing. The doorway into the church, and by extension, the doorway into this community, is wide open. His name is Jesus. 
He says of himself, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So if you're sitting here today and you see that you need to leave your sin and be part of the church, then come on in. Jesus stands ready to exchange his righteousness for your sin. And he wants you to come. And so do we. And for those of you who have joined the church through faith in Jesus, keep leaning in. Live fully and boldly for Christ, knowing that you are witnesses to the power of the community of God. By faith, we are part of something greater than ourselves, and that forms itself into a community of believers that has a local expression known as Redeeming Grace Church, who in this time, in this place, worship God with all the saints that have gone before in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for what you have done, what you have done through Christ, and how that has created the church. And how the fact that in the church we have this community where we love one another and support one another and serve one another. And I pray that you would bless us and that we would have that yet still more. That you would help us to set aside our own desires and our own lives and live sacrificial lives of service to one another. Father, we thank you. We praise you for all that you have done through Christ. Amen.